Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Balls. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the Cowboys. You know, we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, sitting across from me here in the studio, live from downtown Dallas, Evan Grant. Evan, how are you? I'm good, Kevin. How are you today? I'm great today. Thanks very much. Ah, That's good to know. Yeah. And joining us on the line from beautiful Oxnard, California, is the one and only David Moore. David, how are you? It is beautiful here. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. (laughs) Was that that a Mike Wojcik line uh, to Ed Werder where Ed had said hello to Mike for like 4,000 years in a row and Mike had never responded? And the one time that Ed was distracted, he didn't say hello Mike said, "Doing just fine, Ed. Thanks for asking." Yeah, and then he was, then he was so flummoxed he didn't have a retort, so he was like, got frustrated Ed even more. So, Voicek won that. Voicek won Ed zero. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the Cowboys' longtime strength coach and a little irascible. You know what is frustrating me right now? What's that? I can't get connected to the internet here in the building. Well, you know, this is not a, a Wi-Fi friendly building. You know, Dallas Morning News. You know, we're we're not we're not in the communications business. Fortunately, we are in the honeypot that is the print media. <laughs> Don't start on that. What does now. that even mean? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's not, let's don't get him to be explaining stuff. We're in the, I, I guess let, we, me, let me put I it guess in words. You can go watch Winnie the Pooh this weekend. Yeah, David, let, let, well, let's put it in words that you can understand. We are in the glory hole. That's right. <laughs> Okay, I understand that. Yeah, okay, there you go. There we go. So, David, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to use my personal hotspot. Right, go now. right ahead. Uh, we are daily, you know, watching what you guys are putting on uh, uh, Twitter on the people making catches and running into people. And David's not doing it. No, you're not. But go ahead. Well, go I am ahead. actually. I actually am because well, that, that's what I, to to prove my point. I'm going to ask you about uh, Lance uh, Lenoir and the catch he made yesterday, and it seems to me that isn't he kind of you know. Uh, competing in that wide receiver competition, Lance Lenore. Yeah, Lenore. I, I like to call him Lenoir. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> he's, no he's. Uh, I think he's, in some ways, the most interesting guy to me. In that, I, I think when you came in and you looked at the depth chart, no one gave him much of a shot. Uh, you look at what he did in the off season. You look up, and Dak Prescott has four receivers with him uh, in Orlando working out after. Uh, many camps, and oh look, Lance Lenore is one of them. And uh, then he comes here early in camp, and this looks really, really good. I think he's going to make a, a very difficult decision on that because he's he's on the periphery. He's on that. I I would not expect them to keep more than six receivers, and and if you kept six, and he is one of the six, were you were cutting loose of a guy that uh, you would expected would have been in the room. Uh, to start this season, but uh, he, he's very intriguing. He's made a lot of good plays. He's very competitive. Uh, him and Jordan Lewis, watching them mix it up uh, day in and day out in practice, is, is one of the more enjoyable side shows. I will say, yesterday he he dropped a couple of balls he should have had, but that was unusual. He he's had a really strong camp, and uh, when 
when asked about Lance Lenore and the walk-off yesterday, uh, Jason Garrett perked up and talked about him in a way that you could tell he was really excited by what he had seen. And uh, for Jason Garrett to show any sort of spark of excitement is uh, you, you have to is is uncommon. You notice that. So I, I think that uh, uh, the coaches are, are really gravitating toward this guy too. And I think it's actually progressed to the point where everyone's kind of looking for a way to get him on the roster rather than think, well, th- this guy's really on the outside looking in. I'm not sure we can do anything with him. So go over with us who who the six would be then if it if it did not include old Lance. Well, I uh, I know I should have had my depth chart in front of me, but uh, <laughs> you know you, you're going to have uh, Michael Gallup, the third round pick. Yeah, you're going to have Cole Alan Beasley, Allen Hearns, and Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley, that's three. Terrence Williams, Deontay Thompson. If healthy. Four. Okay. But let's, right. let's, let's table Terrence Williams till the end. Okay. So All right. Ian right. Thompson. Yeah. Four. Uh, Does Tavon Austin count as a wide receiver or a, or a running back? Wide receiver. Yeah. He, he, that gives you five. Yeah. And now you're talking about one spot, and you still have Terrence Williams. Yeah. Uh, Noah Brown, their seventh round pick from last year, who yep. they like, and Lance Lenore. So one of only one of those. We can assume only one of those three is going to make it. Yeah. Um, everyone, everyone believes, and uh, since we use that word, assumes that Terrence Williams is going to be in that group. My argument is this, and and part of the argument is well, he's been here and and he's guaranteed three point five million this year, so they're not going to cut a guy that they have to pay anyway. Mm-hmm. Well. They're far enough under the cap, they can absorb the 3-5, and it doesn't prohibit them from doing anything they want to do. I think when they get in the room, there's going to be uh, a, a strong discussion of, okay, we know exactly what Terrence Williams is. Uh, we know what his ceiling is. We've seen him. We're probably only going to keep him here this one more year because it's the final year on his contract. Is it worth it to do that and keep him in this stable uh, and have him in this, you know, group of receivers. Or, since we're looking at him in the five or six spot, his he's going to get even fewer balls than he has in the past. So right. the numbers are going to go down even more. And do we like Lance Lenore or Noah Brown enough to where, you know what, we think we don't know what the ceiling is on them, but let's get them in here and see if their ceiling is equal to or above Terrence Williams. So I don't think that Terrence Williams is as safe as most people assume he is. I think people uh, assume he's safe because you know that they've uh, they've let Des Bryant go. So my gosh, you can't let uh, the two of your top three receivers go. And I, and I think this is to me the fallacy in all of this when when people are uh, are going on and on about the the lack of depth at the wide receiver position and who's number one. When in fact, you know, I I don't believe they've had a number one receiver the last two years. And when two years ago, Cole Beasley led the team in receptions, you know, I, I, it's a little bit like people are thinking this is not 2014 or this is 2015. And in 2014, you're coming off the year that Des Bryant, you know, was uh, a, one of the NFL's top five receivers, and you just let him go. So I, I it's interesting to me that uh, that yeah that that uh, will the Cowboys look at this. From a, a a realistic standpoint of what the production these guys have given us, who they are, and as you said, 
um, I think that the, there's a little bit of a, a problem here for the Cowboys in that I, I think they, they feel like they have to go for it this year, that, that, that they are close enough that can they really afford to let a guy who's a veteran and someone, as you said, you know about, go, or do they kind of uh, build for the future a little bit here? Yeah, and, and you know, when, when I'm presenting this argument, I gave one side of it. The other side would be, okay, we really like Alan Hearns and we really like Deontay Thompson, two veterans, but both of them have had injury issues, uh, especially Hearns. Hearns hadn't made it past, you know, through the past two seasons unscathed. Uh, Thompson is dealing with the Achilles right now. So do you keep Williams with the assumption that, well, you know what, uh, all of these guys aren't going to be healthy, and he could, he could soon find himself back in the role where he has performed fairly well for us as a complimentary receiver. I think, by and large, the frustration with Terrence Williams has been that uh, when Des Bryant would go down for stretches and you asked him to be the lead receiver, he showed he could not do that. And, uh, and you know, but can he just be part of the mix? Uh, we'll see. I, I, like I said, I think, I believe Terrence Williams somehow, some way will be in that wide receiver room when they make the cut down to, to 53 to start the regular season. But I do not believe it is a slam dunk. A lot of people think it is. I, I think there's going to be a lot of discussion that goes into it. And, and that's the other thing here, too. You know, it's, Injuries may sort all this out. Uh, it, it's, it's rare that uh, you get through an entire preseason uh, without one of your receivers you were counting on uh, being beat up or, or, or missing a significant amount of time at the start of the season. So, so we'll see how that uh, unfolds for the Cowboys as well. Uh, David Evan has a question. I, I just oh, good. I, well, I, we got in here and Kevin um, noted – journalist apparently writing in the inverted pyramid uh goes right into like the last receiver on the roster <laughs> i just said that he, he could be in the mix that would shake things up because people are concerned I mean, about the wide receivers on this team well you know what else people are concerned what's about? that evan people are concerned about the national anthem kevin evan we're tired of talking about the national anthem uh you know i, I mean for fear of like inciting a lot of people i'm tired of talking about it too but it's taken on a new twist here new twist go right ahead um i, I david what's been your feel i i think that the the new twist now is that dak prescott said he would stand for the anthem right the team's gonna stand for the anthem yeah uh yes there's been some pressure from jerry jones applied but i wouldn't say some i'd say a lot all right a lot but but the bottom line is if Dak Prescott comes out and says that he plans to stand for the anthem, um, shouldn't that be accepted as like his personal opinion or his personal choice? And I, I think we're we're right now in a in a phase where there is there is now some pressure that he's not doing the right thing. By, by yeah, in, in today's cultural war. Um yeah, he's he's been vilified, and you know he's and he said this three times since the start of training camp, and has been consistent with it. That his view is that he he considers this a a time of reflection and respect. That he will continue to stand for the anthem as he always has. He respects not only the rights of those people who want to protest during the anthem, but respects their ability. You know, respects their respects the fact they do it and has no problem for them. He just chooses not to do it. 
and he talks about moving from the stage of protest to action, which right. is always the most difficult transition in any protest or movement. That is where so many of them uh, stumble, and that's where they start to fragment. Uh, so all of these things are, are very rational, uh, very tolerant, and now he's being dismissed as, oh, well, you're just saying this because you're just kowtowing to the owner. Uh, we know you don't believe that. We know uh, that you would like to protest, but you can't because your owner won't allow you to because you have a plantation owner. And you get uh, racial politics brought into it. Uh, you get social politics. And, and, and this narrative emerges even though Dak Prescott has never shown anything at any point in his young career that he wants to protest the anthem. <laughs> you know, there's been no indication that his, his constitutional right to protest is being stifled and that he's inclined to do so uh, and, and that Jerry Jones won't let him. And so now, you, you, again, you know, we're in a cultural war here where, where both sides are just trying to recruit for their side. And they're, they're trying to draw you to one, one end of the ideological pole or the other. And if you're in the middle and you see both, really neither side has any use for you. And so we've, we've gone from having any rational discussion and any nuance to this uh, issue, where, which I, I would argue that Dak Prescott, you know, his stance shows some nuance. And I think most people do take that nuanced stance, uh, but it's just dismissed or derided. And uh, that's where, again, I think we've gotten to the stage. This this is not a public discourse anymore. This is just uh, a public, how can we recruit and get people to our side? And if you're not on our side, uh, well, really, your opinion is completely dismissed and uh, you're derided. How, how can you really be a person of substance? Kevin, what are, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I, I thought Tim Kalashaw, our pal and colleague, uh, expressed this very well when he said that, that Jerry— let's, 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 let's key down on that a little on bit. On the pal part. Yeah. The pal part, okay. That, that, That's unusual, but yeah. Yeah. That Jerry Jones has created this mess for Dak Prescott because uh, if he if if Dak were the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts, uh, I don't think it would have drawn nearly the attention. For one thing, it's the it's America's team, and you're the quarterback of America's team, and you're the black quarterback of America's right. team. So uh, there's a lot of he hasn't. He, he, Jerry has not been supportive of his players' individual rights to choose and say the no. way. Arthur Blank has, you know. No, and and so when Jerry does that, he puts he puts Dak on the spot. Even though I, I believe completely in, in in Dak's sincerity here, this is the way he really feels. But some people are going to take it and oh, you're just you're coming in your big contract and you want to make sure you get your big money from Jerry and and you're just and you're kowtowing to Jerry, who's the you know the most onerous owner of of, of all the NFL owners, and so. So I think there's a lot of issues here that, that pile up on Dak, and it's all unfortunate. And, and you know, uh, people have a hard time with this. I, I've been on record about the, about the protests. Uh, I'm all for players protesting. I don't, I don't appreciate the form of the protest. I think that any time that you take a form of protest that automatically alienates so many people just on the form of it who might listen to you and li might listen to what you have to say, but they are so offended by what you have done, then I think it's then it's then then what's the the point of the protest? Obviously, you would hope that the point of a protest is that I want to get people to think and I wanted them to listen to my side of the argument. 
And, and so many people will not listen, and I get that. I get why they don't want to listen. They are just so offended. Why did you choose to take this form of protest? Couldn't you have taken another one? Couldn't you have done something else? And I'm offended by the fact that Jerry didn't just, you know, as we, as we all know, it used to be the players weren't even out right. for the national anthem. Why wouldn't Jerry just let the guys stay in the locker room, you know, if, if they didn't want to come out and, and do this? And then it's and then it's not so visible. Fans aren't out there scanning the sideline to see, oh, is, you know, is 84 out, you know? Uh, and then that would have been an easy way to do it. But instead, Jerry, who is completely and utterly responding to the season ticket base here, that is 100% of Jerry Jones' motivation in this is that don't get between me and my money, right? But I, I mean, on the on the other on the other end, uh, the, the the idea about protest is you never you, you don't necessarily protest at a convenient time. And I get what you're saying, and I I feel very much like Dak does, or at least the way Dak has expressed his feelings. Um, personally, you know, I stand for the anthem every time it's it's played at a ballpark um and not that not that a reporter kneeling would be anything of of significance but i mean i I stand out of respect i don't understand why the nfl can't come up with very easy manner here of saying okay we're going to carve out a minute before every game and we're going to allow for a minute of social reflection um and for players to uh, to make a to make some kind of, of statement on the idea of social injustice, I, I I think there's a way to meet both categories here. I do think that what Kevin says is in a lot of ways you you do put off you do put off a lot of people because of the the timing of it. I also understand that if you're trying to provoke and get people to talk about something, then you have to do it at a time that may be inconvenient. I I and David I. I mean, I the way you've expressed where Dak is coming from, my first inclination would be, why is Dak Prescott the Dallas Cowboys quarterback and not the NFL commissioner? Because it's as, it's about as reasonable and as uh, uh, logical a stance as, as I, I've heard on this whole matter. It, it it should be an individual choice, and it should be if somebody's not comfortable um, kneeling during the anthem because of what it supposedly uh, represents at that moment. Then, then they should be allowed to stand. I, I just feel like what you said, you know, it's all about recruitment now, and not necessarily what you believe or what you say. It's all about recruitment of which side are you on. We've we've flipped the whole script on what this entire conversation should be about. There's no question, and and you know there, there are casualties in all wars. Uh, those apply to culture wars as well. Uh, truth is one of them, and, and also uh, reputation. And you know, it's uh, Dak's been thrust in there to where uh, his, you know, other people are defining who he is and refusing to allow him to define himself. And and that happens in, in these you know volatile times and, and all these issues that, that strike a chord. Uh, let me try to bring something a little, because I, I think y'all hit on both sides of it. Let me try to bring in uh, a little something else. Well, yeah, I mean, I just want to, you wrote, you wrote today a story about the Cowboys stance, and I do want you to give us a perspective also from, from what you're reporting within the team is. Well, yeah, yeah, from talking to them and their leadership council, and, and look, they're tired of talking about it, which is the reason there were no live quotes in, uh, in the column today, mm-hmm. uh, because they want this to go, but, 
But, you know, they've taken the approach that, you know what, we're not on one side or the other. We're for our team and what's best for our team. And uh, we respect the guys in here. We know everyone is not of one mind on this issue, but that doesn't mean we can't be unified in, in how we go about what we're doing. And we keep this about us. We don't allow... Uh, we don't allow this issue to splinter us. We don't allow uh, the, the ideological poles to, to pull us apart and, and put some of us in one camp and the other. Let's put team first. Let's remember why we're here, and we can deal with these other issues kind of on our own time. And, and that's their approach, and I think that's the approach uh, most teams will take. I, I think it's difficult uh, to do with so much scrutiny on it, but but I think it can be done. And, and what else is going to add, I, I think, to, to bring a little, uh, 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 since I used the word earlier, nuance on this, you know, with last year there were five to seven players who were protesting uh, systematic uh, injustice and police brutality, five to seven players in the entire league during the anthem. The president came out and on a stump speech in Alabama, I believe, talked about all those sons of bitches in the NFL who make all that money kneeling and disrespecting the flag in our country and our military. The response then was that there was widespread kneeling across the league as a show of solidarity, but it was not for a social issue per se. It was, one, just for the fact of unity, and two, in my mind, just to extend a middle finger to the President of the United States. Now, suddenly, you have an optic uh, that the President can do use to his advantage and keep this issue going, and that's what happened. Uh, That one week when when widespread kneeling took place, uh, now... You had this video, and you had this impression that, look, they're all doing it. When they were down to five or seven guys who were protesting. So now, I, I would say that the Trump played the NFL masterfully on this issue, and he won this issue. It is not even close. Uh, and, and the fact that it's still so divisive uh, in the NFL, and they're still dealing with it going into this preseason, shows that... that uh, uh, Trump used them for political gain, and he's still using them for political gain. Did you? Uh, so Dak didn't address the mural, did he? The the get out mural that has appeared in um, in Dallas. Uh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. He said uh, uh, basically, "Well, it is what it is." Was was uh, a variation of his response, but that was basically, "Yeah, I know about it." Uh, what do you want me to say was basically the response. Yeah. And that was unfortunate too, you know, and, uh, and I read the, the, inter- the murals, unfortunate. The murals, I read the, I read the, uh, uh, the interview with the artist involved and it kind of just, you know, he talked about how it just came to him and he did this and, and, you know, I'm not going to argue about art, but I just think that when you take an issue like that and now, and now this guy has being portrayed as an uncle Tom, and and this is really unfortunate uh, to me that that people are so and I'm not sure how much this artist knows anything about the real issue involved here and about sports and about Dak Prescott or know his story or it's any a, but it's of the that. same it's it's art to to 
provoke and yes. a, a reaction, and, and certainly he's gotten that. But yeah. I, I'm sorry, I, I, I interrupted. Go ahead. Well, I, I, so so to me, that's really unfortunate too, and I and, and I'm sorry that that has happened to Dak, and and you know, uh, and, and I've said all along, this is a guy who has, to me, done everything the right way since he's become a Cowboy. He's, he's worked hard. He has uh, been a good teammate. He has, he's not, uh, uh, you know, when all the issues came up with, with, uh, with, with Dez and, and uh, you know, he never, he never unloaded on Dez and said he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. Uh, to this day, I think Dak, uh, Dez still says good things about Dak. I mean, I just think he's, been a, he's shown great leadership skills Absolutely. In, in every um, – Every instance when it's been it's it's been presented to him, and I think it's unfair it, it, if the idea is to provoke an emotion that Dak Prescott is capitulating or has been brainwashed in some way. I, I think that I, I think that's unfair. Um, David, what did you so? What did you get out of the? It is what it is, and whatever gestures or reaction he had. I I think that uh, he. He didn't like it. He didn't like it, but I think he is resigned to this is not going to be the last thing. I mean, he, he saw the way uh, social media uh, erupted and, and came after him uh, right after his initial comments that, uh, you know, I think he knew that was just the first wave. Uh, now that this narrative had been creative, uh, he'll be buffeted by other waves along the way. So, you know, I, you know. I think he's going to have to come up with. I think he's going to have to be a little more proactive with his responses if this continues. Though, uh, I don't think he can just you know continue to let it wash over him. Uh, you could, you know, he could. There were ways he could have responded to the mural uh, the other day, maybe to diffuse it, like say, well, uh, you know, while I would not have chosen to do that, uh, I respect his right to protest. Right. Like, you know, something like that. You could. There are different. I I think that he will probably uh, latch on to some of these things as it goes, and, and and that's the other thing we haven't really talked about. You know, here we are in a culture. The other thing about culture war too, and and I think why it's so divisive, and why uh, it, it really uh, devolves quickly from any sort of meaningful discourse or conversation uh, to just rambling and yelling, is that. We often use people and thrust them into roles and, and require and expect them to be articulate talking about politics and race when that's not a language they deal in day to day. Or it may not be I something they're comfortable, they're comfortable um, uh, speaking on or speaking outwardly on, you know? Uh, exactly. And, and why should they be? They're, they're there, their job description has nothing to do with that. Right. And, uh, but now suddenly... They're thrust, and, and they're not only expected to have opinions, but articulate them and have really well-honed, logical, uh, uh, you know, responses to very complex issues, and and not just talking points. And I, I think that's a lot to ask of anyone. I know a lot of very smart people. When you start talking about the intersection of politics and race. Uh, you know, it's it's a third rail in a lot of respect. Yeah. I mean, they become very cautious. They don't know what to say. Uh, they say something, and then they edit themselves, and then they go say something, and they know it's not right. Uh, but you already said it. How do you spin out of it? Um, you know, it, I think all of this would be very significant and important and meaningful 
if we were actually having a discussion about it. But we don't have public discussions about this. We, we just yell and retreat into our corners, and we make it, there's no safe zone for people to really talk through uh, their feelings and, and, and uh, thoughts and have a little bit stronger uh, help hone their thoughts on these issues. And, and so uh, it's a missed opportunity in so many ways. And to me, this is, this is just another one. And David, we've spent so much time talking about this. You've spent so much time at the epicenter of this for a long time. Um, but, you know, Kevin, Kevin brought up at the very start of this podcast an actual football issue. As, as we transition back into that, has do you feel like the anthem and Papa John stuff, has that superseded anything on the field for this team? Or is something like the makeup of the wide receivers uh, something that, that, that's a bigger issue for the club? No, I think the, the Cowboys are, are used to dealing with distractions and, and, and owner-fueled distractions through the years. Uh, I think that swirls on the periphery. I, I think the anthem's a little different. I think this impacts every team across the league. But I think we're starting to see it play out from the, the questions and just what the response is going to be. And, and now that the Players Association, um, you know, the, the, the extremes have, have been accounted for. Uh, now you let everyone else get to work and, and come to a solution. And, and I think that's just how it will be going forward. So I, I don't think that's overshadowed or, or distracted from what's taking place here. Uh, it, it's really been a mundane camp, and other than that, it's been a very mundane camp. Uh, they come out, go to work. Uh, there aren't a lot of, of big, strong personalities on this team. Uh, it, they, it's very much taken on the persona of their head coach, Jason Garrett, where it's just come out, do your job. Uh, it's about consistency. Uh, let's look at this. Let's see uh, the depth chart changes today. Today, Now let's go out and do it again. Uh, I think that uh, they've been very workmanlike in their approach here, and I, I don't think there are any overriding concerns with this team going into the season. There, You have questions. I would say the biggest is, okay, what are you going to do at tight end? But even that, you're not going to replace Jason Witten and what he did for you, and no one expects you to replace the offensive production Strictly with your wide, strictly with your tight end, you're going to do it by maybe throwing more to Ezekiel Elliott or Tavon Austin out of the backfield when you line them up there. Uh, you're going to use maybe you go instead of using two and three tight ends as much as you do, maybe you throw in more four and five wide receiver sets, and you have a couple of slot guys out there who are going to catch more passes uh, without your tight end. So. Um, you know, I know Kevin and I have talked about this before. I don't have the uh, concerns about the receiving game that, that so many people do. I, I think, in fact, I'm I'm convinced you can't you can't tell me otherwise that the combination of Alan Hearns and Michael Gallup uh, are going to exceed the production you got out of Des Bryant last year. Um, you just can't tell me that won't happen. I I think the two of those significantly will have more, and it doesn't matter that it's split among two of them. Uh, is going to be more production. So um, no really crying, you know, concerns. I mean, offensive line is good. We've seen them rebuild the defensive line. Uh, I think they feel good about line de- linebacker depth now. And, and this young secondary, at least early in campus, looks really, really good. Kevin, you've uh, had I thought the defense looked pretty good at the end of last year. 
Kevin, you've had a unique perspective because you are very much invested as a as one of our general columnists in in what goes on with the Cowboys. Yeah, but you also haven't been on the ground in Oxnard, so they won't let me go out there, and with good reason. So I mean, you're, you're watching. Why would this. you bring that up? Why, you know that's a sore point. Why would you bring that up? You, what is wrong with you? You know what happened was you know what happened was that they all voted out there and said we do not want Kevin out here. They well, voted. I think Kate Harabla's voted for me, and she was the only one. Uh, I'll always yes. yeah because because their vote matters because they often listen to what we want to do. <laughs> You're always welcome in surprise, Kevin. I know. All right, but so I mean, as you sit here and you watch and you try and block out the anthem stuff, yeah. to the best that you can, yeah, is like the is the receiving core your number one focus, or what is your what is your number one focus? As an as a football analyst, well, you know the way I look at this is that uh, as, as Dave and I talked about this last week, and, and Evan, when you were you know wherever you were, um, when you weren't around, when you weren't around. I, I was in Arizona. Yeah, I think that the the, the receiver thing is much overblown. Mm-hmm. I think you know they've muddled along with it. So this. then, why did you start this whole podcast? Well, with because I think talk. people are always talking about it, and I want to have one guy. <laughs> but I did I, butchering Lance Lenore's name. Yeah, I did. Uh, but here's the thing that uh, to me, I don't. You know, I just feel like that, that contrary to what a lot of people seem to think, and this is the way it always works, You, the team never performs the way you think it's going to. If you think it's going to be good, it, it goes bad. If you think it's going to be bad, it, it does. This team in bad. particular? This, this team, team in particular, yeah. And I really feel like everything is lining up for this Cowboys team. I, th- I think that some of the moves they've made and the, and the progress some of these guys have made, and of course it all depends on uh, – how healthy these guys are and, and how well they play. But I just think there's a lot of good things happening. And one of the things to me that, that I wanted to ask you about, David, before we get out, is uh, is the difference that Chris Richard has made. And, of course, they have not played a single game. Uh, so let's don't, let's don't put too much into this. But he comes from a, an environment where I want my cornerback to be very aggressive. And I've always believed in that. I've always believed in coming up and getting right in a guy's face. This is what Gary Patterson does at TCU. And one of the reasons why his defense has so much success is that they're very physical and they get up right in receivers' faces. And, and I think that intimidation factor plays very well. And, and of course, you, there's, you stand the, op, the, the, the potential of getting burned by that. And you've got to have really good safeties to cover for you which is another reason why they needed to go out and get Earl Thomas. But uh, I'm wondering, you know, we, we've seen Byron Jones be a pretty good player so far in his career with the Cowboys simply because he was so versatile and he did so many things. He was just an okay safety, though, not so great. And now he seems to be having the best camp of his life uh, in this new regime. And I'm just wondering, you know, if that plays out over the course of the season, how many times do you see that kind of thing happen where a player – Simply, what if he'd have been in a different system, how much better or worse he might have been? Well, you see, Byron Jones specifically, it's, it's an interesting case with him because there was always – they they saw uh, an upside to him for both positions, and they shuttled him around early based on what their needs were and their deficiencies were. And, and they were deficient in the secondary when they took him. So he bounced around some, and, and, and they came to – Early, they came to the conclusion that, you know what, we think his ceiling is higher at safety. The one question is, will he be physical enough to reach that ceiling at safety? Now, he was a a, a very good safety. Uh, I would say an outstanding cover safety, but he wasn't uh, an impact safety on the elite level. And I think that lack of, of, uh, or that question of physicality for the position is probably 
kept his ceiling a little lower than what they thought it might be. But them knowing that that was what was going to keep it a little lower. Now you move him to back to corner, and suddenly he's very physical for a corner. You know, all, all this talk about, well, we could use a little more physical nature here at safety. That's not an issue now. This is a safety who's going back to corner, and you're going, wow, this guy really gets up on guys and, and uh, you know, really manhandles them. And uh, it, it's been very good. Uh, he's looked very good early here in camp. And, and you're exactly right. Uh, you know, Richard's energy and enthusiasm, uh, all, all these guys buy in. They also buy in because they saw what that Seattle defense did, and, and he was a big part of that. And they're going, we're going to play the same style. Uh, as Chris Richard likes to say, you know, I'm not asking guys – to run through a wall, I need to run through a wall with him. He's out there in practice getting tackled. He's going after guys. He's running with them. Uh, he really does insert himself as, you know, hey, I'm, I'm in this with you, and that creates a little more energy, along with the fact he came from an established system and, and it's a new voice in the room. So uh, the, the response to him in the secondary early has been outstanding. Everyone's buying in. Everyone's relishing uh, this physical role. But you're exactly right. Uh, you know, that when you do that, you're going to get beat over the top some, and your safeties better be able to cover it up. And do they have the safeties who can cover it up? I think they feel uh, good about these two safeties, but I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. They would feel a lot better about things uh, with Earl, Earl Thomas in here. And uh, I, I still think that's something that bears watching as far as how it plays out. The Cowboys have the cap space to do it. Uh, they're at a point in their development where it makes ideal sense uh, to bring him on, and, and they feel they are positioned where this is a year that they do need. You know, they, they don't talk about it as boldly as they did in, re- in past years uh, because they've been uh, a team that hasn't won in the postseason for 22 years now. But I, I think there's certainly a sense in this organization that, you know, this this is a year we need to strike. The, the division's stronger than it has been, but but we need to strike. We have a lot of things in place here. We're, we've got to get out of here pretty quickly, but I, we do actually have an exhibition game, and we know how exciting those Thursday, are. Thursday, yes. Um, Cowboys 49ers. and 49ers. Yeah. Um, David, very quickly, three things for those people who won't, the few people who won't be watching the Rangers that night, what are the things that they might look for if they happen across the Cowboys 49ers? Well, first thing would be look for uh, your rookie class, the Cowboys rookie class, and, and what they do. They'll get a lot of time in this game, uh, particularly Van Der Esch, the, the number one pick. Connor Williams uh, will get a lot of time in the offensive line, although it's hard to fixate on, on offensive linemen. But, uh, and obviously Michael Gallup as well. Uh, but, but the whole rookie class, but especially those three guys, you're going to get your first look at them in a Cowboys uniform and, and see whether your uh, anticipation and excitement is justified or not. Two, I don't think you'll see a lot of Cooper Rush, uh, who was a, a preseason standout last year. But you'll see Mike White, uh, another rookie, but you'll see him at quarterback, uh, see what he does there. Um, you know, I, I think those are the two main things because you're not going to see any of the other name players that much. So I, I would, I would actually reduce it to two for the opener. Kevin, what will you, will you watch any of this game instead of the Rangers game? Yeah, no, I I mean, mean, not but, instead of the Rangers uh, game, but will you make uh, yeah, time yeah, yeah, to watch sure. the Cowboys? Watch right. it. Yeah, so what absolutely. will you, what will you watch? 
you know, just just what I was talking about the defense more so than the. I, I think that look, I, I think this offense is going to be fine. It'll go back to being what it was a couple of years ago because I think Zeke's going to be on a mission, and I think that the offensive line's on a mission, and and Dak Prescott is is smart enough to you know not to do foolish things and to play within the the role that he has on this team. So I I think that's all going to be fine. I, I want to see how good this defense is going to be. I want to see you know what these guys do, what Jalen Smith does, how how the secondary performs you know uh it can you know demarcus lawrence continue on this arc that he he has been on and and be a premier pass rusher in the league and can they develop a guy to go along with him you know on the other side so there's to me those are the big issues on defense i do want to ask david one last thing i know we we keep saying we want to get out david what do you think is the biggest holdup on the earl thomas thing are the cowboys waiting to see if the if the if the price drops to a three a third round pick or or is Seattle asking for more than just a two you know what, what do you think the, the the issue is oh I think this is just a stage where both sides are sitting there saying let's let this play out a little bit longer you know Seattle doesn't mind if if Terrell Thomas misses most or all of camp yeah uh, they know who he is they, right. you know they know what he can do uh, the Cowboys are going well if we jump in and, and show too much of an interest now before our first preseason game they're going to say you know what they feel they have to have him. Uh, I think Seattle's sitting there saying Dallas will come to us with an offer, you know, at some point. I think Dallas is sitting there saying, you know what, Seattle is at a different stage. They're rebuilding. At some point, they're going to come to us, and, and it's, they're going to be more reasonable. So I think both sides are just waiting out the other at this point with, with no sense of urgency. I, I see this going on for another two to three weeks, really. Yeah, I, I think those are excellent points. I, I think that's exactly – you're exactly right. That's what will happen here. But I, I do – I predict he will be in the Cowboys uniform game one, opening game. Not, not I think the, there's a very good chance. Game, but yeah. Game, yeah. David, it's been great having you on as always. Uh, lots of good points, lots of good stuff going on. I hope y'all are having nice team dinners there. And uh, I know we want to get out, but did you ask? You want to ask another question, David? How much longer do you have of having the slum drinking California wines? <laughs> I I have uh, I get to drink California wines. Well, I can have them when I'm back in Texas, obviously. But but actually drinking them in California through a week from Friday. We can't wait for you to be back here, mostly because we want you in the studio with us. It's it's because it's so much fun kibitzing here it's, in the old studio. The tension between Kevin and I is so thick that we need you here basically to to break it up. It's a good thing this table is as wide as it is, so I can't reach Evan's neck. That's because you got stubby short arms. <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> I would I would much rather be back in the studio, or as Evan calls it, the honey pot. <laughs> been sitting out here in southern california for sure that's right we're here in the old honey pot honey pot all right david thanks for coming man we'll be talking to you sounds good thanks a lot guys there he goes david moore our expert from uh oxnard california cowboys training camp can i ask you one thing before we do actually go yeah go right ahead you had a son that played football but of course he always but one mostly yeah he always had the the ball actually in his hands yeah Um, quarterback can you watch a game and not watch the ball? You know, I, that's true. I can't, and that and that it, it, I have to make like, myself. Could, could you watch defensive line play or offensive line play? I can, but here, here's what the problem is: it, it goes back to when I started in the business and covering high schools, and you had to and you had to keep 
track of everything and you got to keep your own stats. And so you just you had to watch the ball because right. of that. And I tell you, it is just the hardest thing for me to. But I, and then when I do watch other things, and I, I like seeing other things, but you know how it is on the defensive line. If a guy gets one or two sacks a game, that's a lot. Right. And so that's one or two plays. What are the chances that you're going to see him do something on that one or two plays? I mean, it's 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 an issue. No matter how hard I try to watch the game as more of a and, and try and watch that. That big picture, but focusing in on right. one position, one, one specific position, my 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 eyes just keep wandering towards the ball, yeah. or the ball carrier, and it is imp- it, it is a real difficult thing. And I noticed this watching, actually, of all things, watching World Cup soccer a little bit during the, the World yeah. Cup because I'm not really a soccer fan, but watching that take place and I'd identify a player on this team or that team that I wanted to watch, so I could watch him without the ball, right. you know, and I could watch what he was doing or where he was. And in the NFL, when you've got when you've got so many guys compacted into the box for me it's it's hard to like determine other than seeing an offensive line or a defensive line just pushing somebody off the ball completely mm-hmm. it's hard for me to to make a determination on who's winning what specific battle that is and, the, and what they're doing correctly the only advantage of watching a football game in person is the fact you can watch whatever you want right and and that is because otherwise football is much better on tv uh, you know you, you go to games, and I go to games, and it's like, you know, uh, I'd be better off watching this at home. Uh, but you, you, unless you want to watch the other things happen, as, right. as I said. And so that, that is that is interesting at times, and you do catch some things that way. But it is difficult, and it's difficult for me. I'm, I'm the same way. I just, you just kind of always gravitate. Because then, you know, the one time you don't watch, then something big happens. And if you go if you go to AT&T Stadium, you have no choice but to watch the football because uh, your eyes are drawn to the TV yeah. and, and to the screen, and the screen is obviously only showing where the ball goes. So right. it, um, it it is difficult, and I – I, I wish I had that. I wish I had that ability, but uh, I, I think it is. Yeah. And, and for sports writers, you know, who did grow up in a generation where they had to keep track of stats and 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 send in high school stats with with their games, you had to. That was your only focus. You oh, had to focus on that. You couldn't miss anything. Yeah. you really screw it up. All right, that's our Cowboys podcast for today. We will also have a Rangers podcast. And, you know, shortly I was thinking about this. We need to have ourselves our little college podcast and get our old buddy Tim Brando to come back on and talk to us about college football. Well, I'm a little bit concerned because I want somebody with opinions. (laughs) Tim is not – do you follow Tim on Twitter? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting following Tim on Twitter, isn't it? I tell you, he really gets into it with people. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. does. Uh, And hopefully we will have a wide, um, uh, hopefully both with the NFL and the the college podcast, hopefully we will have uh, even a wider uh, range of, of guests as the season progresses. Are you saying that you don't like having David on? No, I, 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 David to me now is a host. He's, he's no longer a guest. Oh, okay. Um, but I'd, I'd also like to bring some other people in here. We, sure. we had some great guests last year. I hope we can get Paul Feinbaum back on the on the college broadcast um, podcast uh, podcast. Uh, but it is a broadcast too. It's you know if you, let's not let's not get too big for our britches here. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we had uh, Trey Wingo was great on the college broadcast uh, podcast last year. Um, and I'd like to be able to bring in a couple of NFL. You know, we had Daryl Johnston on a couple of times. He was great. Um, I hope we can uh, hope we can duplicate some of that. Certainly. So, from everybody in here to everybody out there, thank you. Bye. 
Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see ya.